Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in experts and authors to help writers of all genres compose more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, award-winning and highly decorated military veteran Ray McPadden steps into the interrogation room to try to get his story straight. Ray McPadden is a four-tour combat veteran who served as a ground force commander in the elite 2nd Ranger Battalion during the Iraq and Afghan wars. He was awarded a Purple Heart, two Bronze Stars, and a Medal for Valor. He's also a former Pat Tillman military scholar and the author of the acclaimed novel And the Whole Mountain Burned, which won the W.Y. Boyd Literary Award for Excellence in Military Fiction in 2019. His latest book is titled We March at Midnight, and it chronicles his experience as a highly decorated ranger officer leading some of the most dangerous missions during the height of the Iraq and Afghan wars. This book is a gritty and raw account by a leader in the first combined special unit of U.S. Army Rangers and Navy SEALs during the deadliest period of combat in the 21st century. Ray, welcome to Writers on the Beat. It's an absolute honor to have you here, and I am so grateful for you making time to come in and talk to us about your latest book, uh, which is entitled We March at Midnight, a War Memoir. Yeah, yeah. Th- thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Uh, what would you like folks to know about this uh, about this book? Well, this is a, a book about war, leadership, and family, and I think it's um, it's a. I wrote it ten years after uh, my last combat tour, and just space and time from war gave me, I think, a lot of perspective and insight about, uh, about those experiences as, as, a, as a young um, commissioned officer in the, in the U.S. Army and in the special operations community. And uh, it also helped me, ref- the writing process really helped me explore things beyond war and connected to it and, and family in particular. Uh, my wife was a part of all this experience with me. And so I, I had a chance to explore in the writing process and, and in storytelling process, you know, what, what does it mean to be a, a good husband and, and, you know, a good, uh, a good father in, in the midst of really, really stressful experience, like, you know, combat. So um, I obviously have, a, you know, some, some notes and questions that I've prepared in, in advance for this, but I, I absolutely want to jump on this tangent while you've offered it up here. Um, so on the family angle, one of the things that, that, I struggled most with in my early career was, was family. And uh, there was a, a critical incident one night where I got called out and it was incredibly devastating for, uh, for me, but also for my family. And um, I didn't even consider how that might've impacted them for probably five to seven years. And looking back on it, that's been one of my bigger uh, things, I guess I would say, is a failure of me as a, as a cop and as a husband was not recognizing that at the time. And I, I think we tend to get so wrapped up in, in the moment and in the job that we lose that perspective. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's easy to do. And I, you know, just a, a, a little anecdote for me is I, you know, I was wounded in, in Afghanistan during my first tour, you know, 
seriously wounded. I, I mean, I have all my, my body parts still, I, I recovered fully. And I, my plan was not to let my wife know at all. Uh, I said, that's, it's better off, right? That they don't know really what is happening to you, right? And little do I know that, you know, there's a whole chain of notifications for, you know, it's not just for people who are killed, right? It's also for, you know, people who are, are wounded and evacuated off the battlefield. So the chain of notification went out, you know, the army machine did its thing and told my wife, um, you know, hey, Ray was wounded. He was evacuated. He's now in Germany at the major medical center there. And that's all we know right now. And that's all they told her. <laughs> So wow. here, you know, I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm kind of doing the, you know, a little, you know, I'm, I'm receiving medical care and in my, you know, I kind of hatched this idea of like, she doesn't need to know, mm -hmm. she doesn't need to know, but she did know. And the army gave her just enough information to just scare the living shit out of her yeah. about what had actually happened to me. Right. It's like, they don't mm -hmm. tell her if I lost my legs, if yeah. I was paralyzed, if I got a, you know, scratch on my arm. They just said he's wounded and evacuated off mm -hmm. the battlefield. And it's like, you know, like let your, you know, the chain of inference go there for your, your loved one. So it wasn't until it was about basically like two weeks. Like I thought I was really clever where I was like, hey, she doesn't know. I'm not going to tell her. And, you know, it's just water under the bridge. And eventually, you know, my, my commander, I was talking to him and he said, Hey, do you, you know, have you talked to your wife? And I said, no, no, she, you know, and he said, dude, you're really screwed up right now. Like you need yeah. to call her right now. Yeah. She, no, she was notified like two weeks ago. So, wow. She, and, and I called her and she was a complete mess, you know, and she's Elizabeth, her name, she's incredibly strong. And, you know, she, she, she pulled it together very quickly once I, you know, just told her, Hey, I'm okay. And, and then, you know, like a lot, she was always very supportive of me, you know, going back to, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I can't do this anymore. It was like, I, okay. You know, I support you. I want, I want you to, to be in the fight. Um, but you know, just, just along the, 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 those lines, I mean, the, the impact on the family, you know, to, to have, you know, no information to have, you know, just days or weeks or months go by and just not really know what's going on. And so I, I yeah, it's incredibly stressful. You know, the, the military and the combat lifestyle is incredibly stressful, stressful on the people around you. And that's, you know, that's something that I, I certainly explore in the book. And it's widely known. I think there's a lot of stories out there about marriages completely going down in flames, military marriages, you know, where it's like, okay, the husband's gone or, or the wife's gone, right? And the spouse mm -hmm. ends up, you know, bored, right? We're all just like human and we have needs yeah. and it's like, I can't do this. You know, I haven't seen you for nine months. Uh, there's a lot of that out there, you know, kind of yeah. like military marriages ending in flames. And um, there's also a lot of marriages where the people grow stronger from that challenging experience and they, they both get better from it. And, you know, the, the, the bonds, they basically become inseparable. And I think that's, that was a story for Elizabeth and I it was like, it, things got extremely intense for us with like our own personal interactions, our own relationship and the repeated deployments but we found a way to make it all work and to get better. And, you know, we remain married, you know, happily married today with, with, uh, with two kids. Well, that's incredibly wonderful news. It, it is an, an, an unfortunate reality to some degree, a, a stereotype, but um, I am, I always try to really, uh, really emphasize and, and celebrate those stories in, in military and cop life where you hear about those marriages that were, that, you know, survived the, the crucible and, and, and come out on the, the other side even more 
uh, stronger and more steeled. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm very proud of that. I I saw a lot of you know friends, good good friends and people I serve with that you know it didn't it doesn't work out that way for everybody. And mm-hmm. there's you know, and that's the, you know it's not. Um, it's just you know people are complex and everybody's different and you know so it's it's uh it's something we celebrate and and i know how easy it is to you know have it just just not not work out you know or it's like it's better for both people to to move on and and do you know do go their own ways so and you're i'm very proud i'm i'm proud of our marriage Yeah. yeah Now, your website and a lot of the promotional material for We March at Midnight uh, poses the hypothetical question, what would war do without me? And I'll let you speak to your perspective on that, but I can assure you that uh, cop work didn't miss a beat without me. Uh, the work went on, the <laughs> calls went on, right? The call outs and the SWAT deployments go on. And pretty soon everybody who leaves becomes this rarely talked about memory. Uh, especially as the numbers of people who served with them fade over time. And eventually you're just, Hey, you remember that guy? No. Who's that guy? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the machine is big. It's much bigger than any individual. Right. And that, that, that phrase, what would the war do without me is really about my mentality um, early on uh, as, as a young ranger, as a young army ranger and, you know, fairly new to, to the combat experience and, and kind of thinking, Hey, I've arrived now, you know, and I'm here to, I'm here to win the war. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's really about that, that kind of attitude, I think that many people have on the front end. And, uh, that's, that's rarely the attitude you have after it's over. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, thinking, thinking definitely, definitely evolved and, uh, you know, I, you know, that's certainly, uh, you know, a big, big theme in the, in the book about the, you know, kind of the mental aspect of, of starting with, I think, a fairly arrogant attitude about war and the, the might of the American military and, and your own training that you've had. And then, you know, kind of seeing what, you know, kind of the really ugly reality of, of, of fighting. Yeah. And I, I think that's that, that mentality though, whether it's, um, you know, uh, somebody just coming out of, um, out of boot camp or out of OCS or, uh, or even a police academy. I think that attitude is almost mandatory, though, for the survival of, of the organization and, and the profession. If everybody walked out of training um, with a veteran's disgruntled attitude, I, I don't think we'd, I don't think we'd <laughs> get very far. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You have to be somewhat arrogant, right? Yeah. You have to have yeah. like that young kind of dumb attitude of like, it can't, it's not going to happen to me. Right. If if everybody went into war with a full grasp of their own mortality, the American military, <laughs> yeah, it would yeah. be completely worthless. Right. So yeah, I mean that's that's part of like the fighting strength of mm-hmm. of the army or or uh, you know an elite police unit is mm-hmm. is the fact that I think a lot of the people are you know they've got they're confident yeah. and they're motivated and they want to do what they're doing. And uh, that's, yeah, that, that's, um, that's a strength. And I think one, one thing that really matters, right, is it's, it's easy to be that person when you don't really know totally what's at stake yet, right? Yeah. Like kind of the naive, like rookie, if you will, right? That's, yeah. that's a fairly, that's like an archetype, the naive yeah. rookie. Yeah. Um, 
but to, to continue to, to, to like, once you understand what's really at stake and to continue to be brave and to continue to, to step into harm's way, I think that's where there's, there's real courage, right? That's where it's, yeah. you know, you talk about bravery and, you know, these kind of big words. Um, that's that, that means it's the person who keeps going back, right? Yeah. The person who keeps going on, yeah. on patrol in, in the dangerous neighborhood in, in uh, Phoenix or Chicago or New York, or keeps going back to Afghanistan yeah. and, and conducting night missions. That's, you know, that's what to me is, is real bravery. It's not the, it's easy to be brave when you, you know, you're new to it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And this is, the book is such an incredible read and amazingly well-written by any standard. Um, it's, it reads very differently than any, any other war memoir or, or nonfiction that I've read. And I, I feel like I need at least a, a long weekend to listen to you talk about your writing process and the craft that went into this endeavor. Um, we don't have that much time, but so we'll only get to scratch the, the surface of this. But the, one of the first things that really struck me about this is your candor, or I guess at least how well you presented very three-dimensional moments in your life and your inner monologue as you're going through these experiences. Um, as I've said multiple times on the, on the show, I, I didn't have the honor of serving in the military, and that's what led me to cop work. Uh, but I see a lot of similarities in the, the, the culture and the personalities of those professions. So I, I assume that that also means you had some struggle with how much reality to inject into this story where it wasn't constantly brimming with pride and glory and um, self-congratulation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is tempting, right, to put yourself in the best possible light. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's, that's what Especially we, we all mistakes. do that every yeah. yeah. We all do that every day. And there's a lot of that out there that, you know, there's a lot of superhero stories in, in, in the publishing you know, industry with, you know, your kind of your deadly, your deadliest snipers and, and the Medal of Honor winners. And, and we, you know, we as a society, we need superheroes. I mean, those are, those are important stories, but I think that, uh, you know, one of my motivations with writing was also to, to share an experience and to be honest and direct about things that didn't go that well. And I think that's where, you know, there's a lot more learning opportunities for other people where you can read that and, and you can identify yeah. with it and say, hey, you know, that there's there's somebody with with flaws and somebody who made bad decisions and um and and then you know ultimately learn from them. And so that to me is a far more interesting story, a far more relatable story for, for many, many people than somebody who just got everything right and yeah. hit a grand slam every time they they stepped up to the plate, you know. Yeah, and you're going to pull me out of my notes again, but um, there, there's a, a, a quote that I, or a, a couple sentences here I wanted to, uh, to read into this for, for the audience on that very topic, that you write, society gravitates towards stories from veterans on the margins. On one side are the superheroes, Medal of Honor winners, and the deadly snipers. On the other side are those fighting monsters like amputation, substance abuse, and the slow burn of PTSD. The after-action status of the silent majority, those not on the margins, sounds something like this. I made it through doing great, which is a terrible headline. And uh, that really struck me reading through this book um, that as, as you write, most of the stories that we hear about, that we celebrate, that get presented to us at the society level are those 
that binary, right? Um, I'm the greatest ever, or I got real torn up and I'm surviving and, and thriving despite it. And I think that that leaves the bulk of veteran experiences uncelebrated and um, unrecognized for what actually went into them in, in terms of the, the, the sacrifice and the suffering and, and, and the things that they have had to deal with. And I, I'm really, really grateful to you for bringing this to light. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I think it hurts like that dichotomy that's out there in the in the media and in you know movies and in books and popular culture. I think that hurts veterans like in, in a very real and substantive way yeah. when they transition out and they're looking for meaningful employment and they're looking to do other things in life. And I think that that, you know, that's sort of there's this picture of those two extremes in lots of people's heads. And they just, you know, where it's like, do I really want to hire this guy who's you know, maybe a little bit crazy. And uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I think th th it's not a net good for for us to have that, you know, that dichotomy, when it when it comes down to, you know, many, the, the, the many millions of, of, of veterans out there, I think it's, it's something that in on the whole kind of hurts us. And, and I think it also really, um, really undermines their perspective on their life and their reality and their service that because they're not one of those two binaries that somehow their suffering is less or their sacrifice is less, their accomplishment is less. And I think that's tremendously unfair as uh, folks are, are trying to come to terms with all this and what it means for the, the rest of their lives and the rest of their identity. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's uh, you know, that applies to, to, to jobs, right? There's mm -hmm. a, you know, a lot of the attention in, in the military is on the Rangers, the SEALs, yeah. the, the, uh, the Delta and, and Green Berets. And it's uh, there's there's a whole lot of people out there doing really, really hard, very challenging and very dangerous jobs in, in the military and that are that are really moving, moving the needle, I think, for the country. And uh, there that there's virtually no attention paid to a lot of those those other pursuits within the the, the bigger military structure and uh that's that's something that um I, I i think there's there's uh it's unfortunate and there's um there's a great book i'll just just step out of my own for a minute here but uh there's a great book called fobbit and it's a novel about the Iraq war. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but and it's, it's, it's presented as a comedy and it's yeah. sort of making fun of the people who are, are, are um, serving, but are, you know, not really like the door kickers and the trigger yeah. pullers. It's uh, it's, but, but it's what, like one of the few thing you know, stories that's actually about, you know, not the, the fighting parts mm -hmm. of the military. And it's, it's not necessarily putting them in a favorable light, but it was like, at least it's getting those other jobs on the scoreboard. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Familiar, familiar with the term Fobbit. Um, we, uh, yeah. that was another, one of the things that I really loved about, um, uh, about cop life is, uh, kind of that, that comedy side of it that, you know, we love acronyms, um, because of, I think, you know, a lot of our militaristic origins from the, the post Vietnam and post World War II, especially, um, and so everything, you know, is a, a funny slang word or a, an acronym. And one of, one of my favorite acronyms we had um, was, uh, was Muppet is uh, the most useless police person ever trained. 
And um, <laughs> I wonder if 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 you had a, a favorite acronym or, or slang um, that uh, you preferred to throw around. Well, it's hard to it's hard yeah it's hard to follow up Muppet. That's really <laughs> good. Um, that's really good. I um, you know there's there's been like this whole evolution of of names like if you go through you know war like you know you, you look at you read something from world war ii or something from vietnam and you know something from the modern wars of like how that name for like kind of the rear echelon people like changes uh yeah. and so I, I i think it's 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 actually fascinating just that 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 um disdain has always kind of been there for <laughs> you know people who are also kind of low performers or maybe who are in supporting roles and supporting jobs um and it's it, yeah it's one of those things that changes but it right it used to be like remp was yeah. like kind of the uh word that i kind of grew up hearing rear echelon mother you know yeah. and then yeah. there's um pogues yeah. which i never totally understood what pogue or like kind of meant yeah. or what it, i knew what it meant right but i didn't know the origin of pogue right uh, those were, were two other really you know popular uh you know terms for for kind of people who, who are you know, didn't, didn't really, um, leave the base who didn't necessarily make, make co much contribution to, to the effort. Yeah. They, uh, one of my training, uh, sergeants was a, uh, a, uh, a Marine. Um, so apparently, you know, you, you never get to quit stop being a Marine. So, um, I can't, he's definitely not an ex-Marine, definitely not a former Marine, you know? Um, but yeah, I was introduced to pogues and rems from him and yeah, pogue is one of those words. You instantly know it's negative as soon as you hear it, but you don't know why, you know, yeah. oh, oh fuck. I don't want to be a pogue. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Nobody has to explain that one. You're like, no. you just, yeah. Instantly. No. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one of the things that, um, I imagine even putting this, this nonfiction out, uh, I, I don't think. I can ever adequately explain to someone what it's like to be or to have been a cop. I think it's something you only understand by experience. And I expect that that's also true of military and especially of combat, no matter how well-written this book is and as engrossing as it is, I think as the readers, we're only ever going to get at best to stand next to you in the middle of all this and never really understand what it's like to be in your shoes. That's the challenge I think as a writer has is the, to really try to put the person there as much as, you know, as much as you, you can. I mean, I think mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's very difficult to replicate the experience in, in any way. Um, there's, there's a lot though, I think you can do as a writer to, mm -hmm make you know kind of take the person there with you and and that's where i think you know writing gives something that you you don't even necessarily get in the movies where like all the the sensory stimulation is sort of being handed to the person and with writing i think some of it's about subtlety and it's about like these very small little details and very small observations that you can you can inject that that really do put the person there and so that's that's really like a very fun part of of writing uh and you know the, the the written word that i think that other mediums don't really don't really give people you know but i would say the one right the, the one comparison that i i've held up I, i've heard held up for you know many years now because the movie's gotten fairly it's fairly old now but it's uh you know the opening scene of saving private ryan where they're, yeah. they're storming the beach at d-day and it's 
I remember seeing that as like a fairly, you know, I think I was maybe in high school when that came out yeah. and being like, really like, holy cow, like that's, that's gotta be what it, what it looks like. That's kind of, that's gotta be what mm -hmm. it feels like. And, um, it was powerful. And I think mm -hmm. the written word can, can be far more powerful though, in, yeah. in, in really transporting, you know, somebody there and, um, that's, that's certainly, you know, what I, what I strove for was, was just some of those, like some of those little details and, and injecting the, the sensory things and the authenticity where I think, you know, them and you feel them as, you know, as somebody who fought and, and, and led infantry units and, and special operations mm -hmm. units, you, you, you know how to make it authentic. Whereas even, you know, journalists and workhorse who go there and I think tend to do fairly well in the publishing industry that I think there there's an element that just because they're they're there but they're not really fighting like there's there's things that they miss that I think they can't recreate that that the person who does fight can yeah and with um your you do such a fantastic job of bringing in all of those other senses but also your your word choice is phenomenal in the way that you describe things. And early, early in the book, as um, your uh, platoons headed into the up into the mountains, driving uh, or not uh, packing uphill, um, you describe traversing this section of uh, unstable trail and the rocks flipping under your feet and just that single word brought forth to me the exact feeling of instability of having this heavy pack on and going over this trail and the sound of those rocks clinking and you know is that you know creating too much noise am i you know going to end up spraining my ankle and being you know the worst casualty ever you know 10 minutes into this thing and you know so i i really appreciated how well you composed this um and i imagine none of that happened by accident oh yeah yeah absolutely now you have i, I mean i think i have a fairly good memory and um you know it's part of the writing process is what is really just like exercising that memory and then letting all those neurons like fire and like those little, those little things start coming back to you. Like, you know, the, the way, you know, maybe your pack was, was not balanced right mm -hmm. for the mission or the, the, yeah, the way the rocks were flipping or the way something sounded um, out on, out on patrol. And that's, that's where, you know, back to the authenticity thing. I think those are, those are the little things that really take people there rather than the, the big kind of bombast scenes of, yeah. you know, bullets flying and, 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 you know, rockets exploding. So thanks for noticing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was, uh, just amazingly well done. Um, this is, uh, for anyone who, who really wants to uh, to bring readers in, whether they're writing fiction or nonfiction, um, this should be a textbook for that. Um, and even beyond being a, a fantastic story, a personal experience, this is a really well written uh, well written book in in how a study in how to grab readers and keep their focus. Oh, yeah. For, thank you. <laughs> thank, you. thank you for writing it uh you know, I, I i think most 
people with whom I, I talk who write at your level have had uh, mentors along the way who specifically push them, specifically encourage their writing, um, and oftentimes provided uh, constructive feedback, even when uh, it was sometimes a little bit painful. I wonder who in your life provided that kind of that kind of criticism and that kind of encouragement. My uh, my, there's people in my family that that were very honest with me that I appreciated. Usually, when you like the kind of the classic mistake you make as an author is just sharing something with your loved ones, which you know they're gonna go, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is the best ever, right? Like yeah. whose mom didn't tell them they were the greatest um, in history? Yeah. But so like my dad and my wife were both like really honest with me, which I appreciated. Mm. You know, so that's that's kind of on the family side that they've they've always been confidants with with the storytelling, um, and that you know there's there's certainly been others more on the the professional side that 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 helped me with um, you know real cold blooded like business editorial advice, and uh, you know even even in school there was a, a professor I worked for in grad school who always said respect the reader respect yeah. the reader respect yeah. the reader, you know, and uh, those are, those are little things that I, you know, I carry forward and take a lot of pride in, in writing and, and wanting, you know, the reader to, to enjoy, you know, what I'm doing. And I think that the bar is higher for somebody who's not already famous, right. In terms of yeah. the, the writing quality uh, a lot of what's out there in the publishing world, I think is, is people who are already famous and, and books about them become just another way for them to make money. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> and I, won't, I won't go into some of the frustrations there, but uh, you know, the, the bar is, is, is as low as it possibly can be there. Cause you just stick some famous person's name on, on the cover of a book. And you know people are gonna gonna scoop it up, right? It's just another way for them to make money. And so for for those that um, you know real writers, right? The the bar is a lot. The bar is a lot higher. And yeah. but then that's what that's what it's about, right? That's what books are right. supposed to be about. They're supposed to be about the writing and and the story, the quality of the story. So I, I offer. I think I can offer with a hundred percent confidence that the, you know there's there's you know, my book, We March at Midnight is, is, has got, has got both elements as good, good storytelling and good writing. Oh, you're going to, again, take me out of my notes in order here, but <laughs> the things I, I, I wanted to specifically bring up, um, you know, the, the several prevailing themes in this podcast, one of them is trying to help aspiring writers. Um, and for someone who has their own story to tell, um, whether it's you know, a military veteran or a wildland hotshot or uh, a, a cop, uh, somebody who has their own experience um, that they want to write about, what advice would you give them um, to help them get that book started and finished and hopefully published? Well, when you haven't had any real, you know, say academic training, uh, you know, I do encourage people who have not to, to do seek out professional help, right? There's a lot of professional editors out there that are, that are, um, you know, they're, you know, basically doing freelance work. And I think, I think, you know, the, those, those services cost money, but, um, it's, it's unlikely for most people that they can, 
really like self-teach or teach themselves completely, you know, and be like, okay, well, I, I kind of read some books and now I'm going to write my own. Uh, I think the publishing industry, right. The, the kind of first step in writing is, you know, like once you think you have something sellable is you go chase an agent. And I've, I've heard and talked to a lot of people who are, who are trying to get published, who, who are kind of like, thinking that agents are going to give you feedback. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's not what agents do. Agents jump on things they think they can sell and they throw things away or delete things that they don't think they can sell. And it's not their freaking job to, to give you feedback. So you're never going to get that from the agents. You're just going to get a radio silence mm -hmm. if you're not good. And so I, I think it is good to, to look for professional help. I don't think you need, you know, like you don't need to go get an MFA, Master of Fine Arts to, to be successful. You absolutely do not. Uh, but, but I do think it's good to, to look for like professional help. So that can be, an, that can be an, you know, an, like a professional editor who's doing freelance work. It can be, um, you know, there's organizations like, you know, writing organizations out there too that, that sort of offer help. Uh, and so I, even early on for me, I, I, I went to um, like a couple of like veterans writing uh, organizations that were, you know, they, they kind of help people with like short story publishing. And, you know, I, I started with that, with that kind of thing and, and got like help through those channels and then built some relationships through those channels that, that those, you know, that, that ended up helping out quite a, quite a bit, but don't try to, you know, be your own, your own, um, you know, editor. Now, on, on that note, um, I also wanted to make sure that I, I talked to you about a novel you put out, I guess, two years ago now, or was published two years ago now. Uh, it's entitled, And the Whole Mountain Burned. And you won the W.Y. Boyd Literary Award for Excellence in Military Fiction in 2019 for that work. And I almost feel compelled to apologize to you that I wasn't beating down Blackstone's door to, to get you for an interview on that book. Um, <laughs> what do you want readers to know about, uh, about that effort? That, that book is about, uh, a group of soldiers that get lost in the mountains of Afghanistan, you know, literally and, and figuratively lost in the mountains. And it's, it's an exploration of, of, um, you know, just like adventuring into just true, true wilderness and, um, you know, going, going native in, in some ways. And just the stress of, uh, of, you know, not only war, but, you know, the stress of isolation. And so that, that's an adventure story. It was, it was a lot of fun. It, it felt good as, as a debut author to, to win a, a national award from the American Library Association. I'm, I'm, you know, very, very proud of that. And it gave me, you know, some authentic, some um, self, self-validation mm -hmm. that, you know, I think every, every young writer is looking for. So um Novels are fun. Novels are hard too. They are really, really hard, uh, especially I think for you know a first-time writer. You know, you're you're kind of muddling along, <laughs> yeah. you know, with with how to how to tell a compelling story and, and keep somebody engaged. And that's you know, I think that the nonfiction pursuits are 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 far easier than than the um the fiction pursuits actually you know to do it well to do a novel well is f much harder than to do say a you know a nonfiction book well now i started writing crime fiction long before i got published and it was really i didn't even intend 
I think on publishing when I first started writing, it was basically just a form of therapy, uh, a cathartic way for me to deal with some of my cop demons. And um, I wonder how much of that prompted your writing. Yeah, I think, yeah, to some extent, I, I was, I don't know why I started writing exactly. I just, I just did. It was like organic. I just, it, you know, I just felt like all this stuff was there and I was like, I wanted to sort of air it out. And that's how that novel started. I mean, it started with kind of, here's some of my own thoughts about something that happened. And, and then it just, it all evolved from there. And I think a, a lot of really good novels do start that way. They start with things that were real and somebody's kind of like mentally talking to themselves. Mm -hmm. And then it sort of evolves from there and you use your imagination and you apply the craft, you know, the, the novel craft and the writing craft and it, it turns into yeah. something, you know, fantastic. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of, you know, I can definitely empathize there in, in terms of why, why it started. And I think for, for many, you know, military novels, a lot of novels where, or stories where the, you know, that, that person has that background, right. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, yeah, whether it's, as you mentioned, it's cops or it's firefighters or it's, you know, military. Um, yeah, I think that's, I, I suspect that, 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 that happens a great deal. Yeah. Now, one of the things that was surprising for me in, in that process, um, is I, I have kind of always felt like I got to cheat the system a little bit because I'm, I'm writing so often about my personal experiences, even if they're, you know, a fictionalized version of that. Um, but I, I think kind of the unexpected consequence, um, for me at least was that I sometimes really struggled with some of the things that, uh, that I wrote about, even though I was changing the, the, the names and the dates and the, you know, the places and, and some of the outcomes. And I really didn't expect, um, to, to have that experience while I was, you know, turning real life into make-believe. Um, and I, I uh, think I you know, probably would have been a little bit more wary or at least a little more better prepared that, you know, some of that, uh, some of that was going to uh, end up, you know, ripping these band-aids off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And it's, yeah, it is an interesting process in, in neurology on, you know, how you're, you know, things are like hidden away in your brain. And then that, you know, you start working, you know, so you're, you start telling a story and you start writing it down and then you are, you're activating all kinds of things that were, that were suppressed or maybe that were hidden mm -hmm. and, and it all comes out again. And there's been, yeah, there's been times where I kind of like had to step away and then just, you know, go, go for a walk and breathe, you know, where it was just, I got, it got too intense you know, that you just, you open something up and you're like, Oh, yeah, close that back. <laughs> close that. You know, like, Oh shit. I didn't know that was there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I forgot about that probably for the better. Uh, yeah. Get that, that uh, manhole cover back on the sewer lid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, yeah. I've def definitely been there. You don't always know it's coming, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just, yeah. it'll, it'll creep up on you, you know? One of the other themes of this this podcast is that for most folks, it takes about a decade of blood, sweat, and tears to go from aspiring writer to acclaimed author. And I wonder what your journey has been like on that so far. 
you know, it was, it was a little faster than maybe 10 years. Um, I, I, I'm a lifelong reader and I think that's always like your baseline, right? That's your foundation. I think, you know, anybody who's a good writer is an avid reader. Mm -hmm. So I do think that that helped me just, just sort of like pick, pick up, uh, and, and move a little faster through the process of going from, you know, playing around and writing things down to like real commercial publishing and people paying you, you know, uh, money for, for, for your writing. So I think, um, yeah, reading, reading avidly, even while you are writing is extremely important for, for any writer. You, you should, you should read voraciously, even while you are writing. I think some people there's like, okay, I, I, I used to read a lot and now I'm writing and I'm just kind of focused on my own writing. And one thing that I think is really helpful for me in terms of my own like storytelling is to kind of take breaks, even while you're in the process of creating something for yourself and, and like, just read, read other stuff, read things that aren't in that, in that genre you're writing about, just read widely, just pick random crazy stuff and, and, and start looking at it. And that, that I think will help you be successful. Oh, I, I wonder what uh, what you read for entertainment. What are your preferred genres, your preferred authors, characters, series? I like stuff about the West. I really do. A.B. Guthrie wrote The Big Sky, and it's it's a, a novel about the West. I just, I read that. It just blew me away. I like Tom McGuane. He's, he's actually a... Um, he, he does a lot of uh, short stories. He's done some novels. He's done some screenplays. A lot of it's, you know, it's, it's, it's set in the West, not far from where I live here in, in Livingston, Montana. So I, I like things about the, the West. For a long time after I got out of the Army, I didn't read anything military. I'd not, I wouldn't touch it. Nothing. Like not nonfiction, fiction. I just, I was like, I there's nothing those people are saying that I don't already know. I just did, had no interest in it. And I didn't even watch like war movies. Uh, and I, I do now, uh, I do, I've, I've sort of picked some military things up again and, and, and then, and it actually enjoying it. Uh, so I, I like more military fiction than military nonfiction, but uh, I, I do, I, I certainly read military fiction here and there. Oh, I, I do like to close out the, uh, the, the podcast with a, a hypothetical, if you're willing to play along, Ray. Um, sure. Now, I, sure. God forbid that it should ever come to pass, but if you were to wake up tomorrow and find that you've been murdered, I wonder what two fictional investigators would you assign your own homicide? <laughs> Uh, oh my gosh. Um, well, I, you know, I've always liked Sherlock Holmes. I read the, I've re I read the, um, you know, I've read some, some of that, right. It's everybody knows the, the, the movies, but I read, I've read the books and, um, I, I, I like Sherlock Holmes. I definitely, I definitely do. So maybe Sherlock Holmes and, and Watson would be my, my go-to. Perfect. Yeah, I think your case is going to be solved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where can readers stay connected with you and stay caught up on uh, on your works in progress or forthcoming releases or maybe get on an, an email list to find out how they can stay connected? 
Yeah, so raymcpadden.com is uh, is my website, and then I I'm on I'm on Instagram and and on Facebook as well under under Ray McPadden. So you can you can find me on the web, and that's the best way to to stay up to date. No, I, thank I, you. I'm so incredibly grateful for your time and sharing your expertise with us. It's been an absolute honor to have you, and I'm I'm looking forward to the 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 next thing that you put out, so I can I can devour it and have you back on the show. Yeah, my that yeah, that would be my pleasure. This this was really fun. I appreciate the thoughtful questions. It was a pleasure talking to you. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast to the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been Ray McPadden. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.